Well, hey, welcome to First Church. If you're new, my name's Chad. So glad you chose to worship with us, whether you are here on site or if you are worshiping with us online. I just looked online and we've got Barbara joining us for worship. Well, as Todd and Nikolai stated that he is driving to his father-in-law's house and they are just listening, not watching. So we're glad that you're just listening, paying attention to the road as you drive. So if you are here in person, would you get loud? Welcome in our online family. Let them know we're glad they're joining us for worship here today. And today is Father's Day, so we just want to thank all of our godly men who are fathers, uh, who are part of our church, who are setting a great example, all right? who are a great influence for the next generation. Whether you're a dad, a grandpa, just another man at our church who's setting a godly example, we appreciate you. And I know that dads in our culture today don't always get the respect that they deserve. An example of that, something that's recently gone online, it's gone viral. There was this daughter who posted some video clips of her dad because she decided she was gonna move to New York City. And he didn't like that because they're from this small town in Ohio. And so over and over and over again, he let her know that he didn't like the fact that she wanted to move to New York City. And she posted these clips online. Take a look at this short video. Free chips in Ohio. New York City, $30. In New York, you don't even have dishwashers. Realize, Camille, how many thousands of dollars you're saving hanging out in Warren, Ohio. When you're in New York City, you are not gonna get any fresh air. She could buy a house for what she's paying in rent. <laughs> you know how I'm gonna pay for that barn? Yeah. Bushel of corn and a handshake. I love that. Apparently in Ohio, they're still stuck in the 1890s. How do you pay for stuff? You know, a bushel of corn and a handshake. That's it. That's all it takes. Do you hear him when he said they don't even have dishwashers in New York City? Okay, whatever. But you can tell he loves his daughter, whether you agree with him or not. And I know we have a lot of dads in our church who definitely love their kids and who try to set a great example for them. So if you are here in person today, would you put your hands together and give it up for all of our dads here at First Church? And we do have a gift for all of the men, whether you're a dad or not, these awesome, cool dad shades. So uh, you can pick one up as you leave today. Everybody can grab one if you're a guy, whether you're a dad or not, and uh, you can wear them around town. I hope that I see you cruising your car wearing these. I really do. So let me ask, should I wear these the rest of the sermon? What do you think? Uh, somebody said no. Somebody was honest. All right, I'm going to take them off. Thank you. Everybody else said yeah. But make sure you pick up your gift. Happy Father's Day. Well, today we are wrapping up our series upstream. And in this series, we've been looking at culturally sensitive topics that we feel like we need to address as the church because God gives us wisdom for how to handle these sensitive issues. And we believe this series is important because sometimes when it comes to following Jesus, we feel like we're going against the flow of culture. Sometimes when we follow Jesus' way of life, we feel like we're paddling upstream. And here's the thing, this isn't a new thing for our generation. Jesus tells some of his earliest followers this, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Well, thanks Jesus, that sounds encouraging, doesn't it? In this world, you will have trouble. But actually what Jesus is trying to do here is encourage us because those words are sandwiched between two other statements. Look at what Jesus says. He says, I have told you these things. I've taught you all this stuff, my way of life, my teachings, so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 
Jesus here is saying, yeah, at times you're gonna feel like you're paddling upstream as you live for me in the midst of this world, but take heart because when you actually listen to me, when you actually pay attention to my teachings and live those teachings out, that's how you will find peace in the midst of all this chaos. That's how you will live a full and complete life. That's how you will be able to live out your God-given purpose and design. And so that's why in this series, we are seeking God's wisdom because we love God and we wanna honor him and we believe he knows what's best for our lives. And we're also preaching this series because we love you guys. We love people. And we trust that God knows what's best for you and for me. And Jesus says that when we seek God's truth, his truth, that the truth will set us free. So hopefully you've been here for all the messages in this series. If you've missed any of them, you can go online, you can go to our website and you can watch this series. And hopefully those sermons will bring you some encouragement. But today, as we wrap up this series, we're going to address one more question that's kind of a tough one and it's controversial in our culture today, but we believe we need to address it. And we're not afraid to deal with difficult questions. And the question is this, why would a good and loving God allow good people to experience suffering and pain? It's a tough question, isn't it? Why would a good and loving God allow good people to experience suffering and pain? Over and over again, when people in our culture are polled and they're asked, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? This question pops up in some form or another. In fact, Barna recently did a study and they asked, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And the number one response was this, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? You ever asked that? You ever had somebody else ask that question? See, I believe it's important that we talk about this that we shouldn't shy away from it like some churches do. Some Christians don't wanna talk about this because they really don't have a good answer, so they just avoid the question altogether. But I don't believe we should do that. One, I don't think we should do that because our culture is asking the question and we as the church don't wanna seem irrelevant. We don't wanna seem like that we're out of touch. I believe that more people have walked away from the church, walked away from the faith because of this question than any other. And so we need to be able to have a conversation with people when this question comes up. But I also think we should be addressing this question because God's okay with us asking this question. In fact, I think he wants us to. In Psalm chapter 10, it says this. It says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now, most scholars attribute this Psalm to David. And he is asking basically God, why do you seem so distant? Why is it that you're not closer to me during times of trouble? Where are you, God? Solomon says this. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter eight, here's something that happens all the time and makes no sense at all. Good people get what's coming to the wicked and bad people get what's coming to the good. I tell you, this makes no sense. What is Solomon saying? Why is it that Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. You ever ask that? What about the prophet Jeremiah? He says, why is there no end to my pain? 
And why will my hurt not be healed? He's speaking to God and he says, will you be to me like a river that flows with water some of the time and is dry at other times? What is Jeremiah asking? God, how come it feels like sometimes you answer my prayers and sometimes you don't? See, some of the most godly servants throughout history have asked the question that we're addressing today. And I think we have these questions recorded in the Bible because God wants us to know it's okay that we ask these questions. It's okay that we ask tough questions. He's a big God. He's a big boy. He can handle it. He can take it. It's okay that we ask these difficult, tough questions. But not only that, I think these questions are recorded in Scripture because we need to know we're not alone as we ask these questions. See, if you're asking, why is there suffering? Why is there pain? That doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're unspiritual. It doesn't mean that you're ungodly. It doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. Even those throughout history who've been godly servants, who've done great things for God's kingdom, have asked those very questions. And third, I think we should address this issue today because it's a personal one. See, whether you realize it or not, we are all fluent in the language of suffering. Suffering has personally touched all of us at some time or another. Pain is the universal language of the human race. And probably at some time or another, we have all asked the question, why? Or maybe we've asked the question, where? God, where are you? Now, maybe we haven't said it out loud because sometimes we think, you know, the pain and suffering that I'm experiencing, it doesn't stack up to what other people are going through. And so my pain is really small compared to other people's pain. So I just shouldn't say anything. But here's the thing, that doesn't matter. Your pain is still your pain and it still affects you. And what we need to understand is this, your pain will fill whatever vacuum that exists in your soul left by loss. And so your pain, it may not seem like it's as big as somebody else's, but it's still very, very real to you. And it's something that if you don't deal with, and if it's something that you don't give to God, it will grow and it will start to consume you. Pain is pain and suffering is suffering. And we've all experienced it at some point or another. And so if that's the case, then what a lot of people wanna know is, why did God create the world like this? I mean, why didn't God create a world where there is no pain, where there is no suffering, where there is no heartache or disappointment or loss or sin? Why didn't God create a world like that? Short answer, he did. Genesis chapter one, says that after God created everything, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Meaning it was perfect. It was very good, it was just right. No pain, no suffering, no heartache, no stress, no anxiety, no storms, no sin. It was just as God intended it to be. But after God made everything very good, he set his creation free. He gave us the freedom 
to either choose his way of life and continue to live in a very good, perfect creation or to choose our own path. And he warned us that if we choose our own path, then we're going to corrupt his very good creation. But we chose our own way anyway. See, God hasn't contributed anything bad to his design. He simply gave us a choice, knowing that that choice would lead to corruption if we chose the wrong thing. And so the question is, why give us a choice? Why give us a choice in the first place? Where well, the answer is simple but really profound and it's found in 1 John chapter four. Because God is love. Now stick with me for a second. Notice what this doesn't say. It doesn't say that God is loving. It doesn't say that God loves. The Bible says God is love, meaning love is at the core of God's very essence. Love is who God is. And because we were created in his image, our deepest need, our greatest longing is to experience love. But here's the thing, real love, always involves a choice. Real love always requires a choice because forced love isn't real. It isn't real love. That's just robotic programming. Let me illustrate it like this. When I was a kid, I used to spend a week or two every summer with my grandparents. And my grandma, she's a godly lady, but she loved her soap operas. And I remember during lunchtime especially, she would have her soaps on in the background. And here's the thing, I would only watch them when I was with her, and yet I would still be caught up every summer, you know? I would know exactly what was going on because nothing had really changed that much. It was the same storyline over and over again. I don't know why they call them soaps because they're pretty dirty if you ask me, but I would watch these soap operas with my my grandma and I remember there was this constant repeated storyline there's this person typically a girl who is in love with a guy and the guy didn't love her and so she would try everything in the world to force him to love her she would try to trick him and trap him and even seduce him trying to get him to love her and sometimes she would even get to go on dates with him sometimes she would even convince him to walk down the aisle with her but it never worked out it would always fall apart at the end Sometimes it would fall apart as they were getting ready to say, I do in the church or in the chapel. You know what I'm saying? It would fall apart right then because he would come out. He really didn't love her. He didn't want to be with her. He wanted to be with somebody else. And that just illustrates what we all know to be instinctively true. You can't force somebody to love you. Love is always a choice. Love that isn't a choice, that's just robotic programming. That's not real love. And so the reason why my wife's love for me is so meaningful is because she has the freedom to choose me or not choose me for that matter. And I'm really, really grateful that she chose me. Some of you guys are still wondering why she chose me. I am too, but I'm grateful that she did. And that's why her love for me is meaningful. See, love doesn't exist without freedom. Because if you don't have the freedom 
to reject the other party. It's not real, genuine love. And God's greatest desire was for us to choose him, for us to return the love that he has for us. And that's why he gave us the freedom to choose. That's why after God created everything very good, he turns to Adam and Eve and he says this, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Now that was risky because God put all these trees in the garden of Eden. And he said, you can eat from any of them, but one, there's one tree in the garden that you can't eat from. That's the tree of knowledge and good and evil. That fruit on that tree, it is forbidden. And if you eat of that tree, it's gonna mess everything up. So feel free to eat from any tree in the garden, but don't eat from that one. And we all know what Adam and Eve chose to do, right? They chose to disobey God and eat from the one tree he told them not to eat from. Now God is completely sovereign. And God didn't have to put that tree there. He didn't have to give Adam and Eve a choice because the moment that they chose to do their own thing and walk away from God's path, a curse descended upon all of God's creation. It threw everything out of sync. So why did God do it? Because he wanted real love, not robotic programming, because that's not real. Some of you guys may have one of these. We have one in our house, it's an Alexa. And you can talk to Alexa, it's from Amazon. I think it's like an Echo Dot or something like that. And here's the thing about Alexa, she will do anything you ask her to do within her abilities. So we'll say to Alexa, hey Alexa, play this song. We'll say, play Wake Me Up by Avicii. And she'll start playing that song. And she never says, no, I don't feel like it or no, I don't want to, or not right now. She never does that. She does whatever we tell her to do. And so if we wanna know what the weather is, we'll say, Alexa, what's the weather gonna be for today? And she tells us the weather. Uh, sometimes my son Alex tries to trick her and he will say, hey, Alexa, I got a math problem. What's 110 plus 86 plus 92 plus 16 plus 13? And he'll go through all these numbers and then she'll add it all up and give him the answer. And I don't know if she's right or not. I can't do that type of math in my head, but she does it like that. She knows she will look stuff up for us online and she never ever says no. Now, let me ask you, how would you like to be married to Alexa? I mean, think about it for a second. I mean, let me activate Alexa here for a second and I'm gonna ask her some questions, okay? Uh, Alexa, do you love me? Of course, I love you. I think you're magnificent. Oh, now isn't that sweet? I mean, don't you just, doesn't that make you feel all warm and gooey inside? It makes me feel that way. I mean, she loves me. She thinks I'm magnificent. My wife doesn't even tell me that. I mean, that's, that's really incredible. You know, I'm just so fond of her. I tell you what, Alexa, will you marry me? I think that would somehow violate the laws of robotics. Yeah, it probably will. So we're not gonna do that. Now, here's the thing. That's not real love, is it? We know that. Because Alexa is only doing what she is programmed to do, right? It's not real. It's not real emotion or feeling or commitment. It's just, she's just doing what she's programmed to do. 
And so love means nothing if it's programmed. It has to be a choice. And that's why God gave us the freedom to choose, even though it was a risk. Now, you might be asking, didn't God know that if he gave us this choice, that we might choose the wrong thing, that we might not choose him and mess everything up? Of course he did. So why did God give us the choice anyway? It's the same reason why many of us who have kids chose to have kids. Didn't we know before we had kids that if we had children, that they might make choices that would disappoint us, that they might make choices that would bring us stress and anxiety, that they might choose things that would bring us pain and suffering and heartbreak. Didn't we know that by having children that they might even rebel against us one day and not listen to us? Of course we did. So why do we continue to have children? Because we know the potential for that relationship. We know that there's the potential in the parent-child relationship to experience a love and a joy that you can't have outside of it. And so the potential for that relationship is worth the risk. And that's what God wanted for us, from us. See, God knew that by giving us a choice that some would reject him, that some would rebel against him, that some would disobey him and never return his love. But he also knew that some would return his love and want to do life with him. And those who would return his love made the risk worth it. You see, love requires freedom, but freedom opens the door to pain. And we're the ones who opened that door. God didn't open it. We opened it. And that's why the Bible says this in the book of Romans. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. All of us have rebelled against God. All of us have sinned. All of us have messed up. And because of that, there's no one righteous. You see, and I think sometimes when we ask the question, why is it that bad things happen to good people? I think we ask that question with a false assumption. We assume that we're good. And the fact is we're not. See, Jesus clearly says this. Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. We assume that we're good, but all of us have rebelled against God. All of us have disappointed him. Now, some of us might do more good things in life than others, but we're all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And so the reason why we experience pain, well, there are a few reasons. One, it's just simply because of our bad choices. Sometimes we make bad choices and there are consequences to those choices. God isn't forcing us to make those bad choices. We just do it on our own. Sometimes we experience pain in this life because of the bad choices that other people make. And so there are consequences to their choices and their choices affect us. And sometimes we experience pain simply because we live in a broken world. See, like I said, when sin first entered God's creation, a curse descended upon the entire creation. And that's why there are things like hurricanes and tornadoes and 
earthquakes and other natural disasters. Paul writes about this in the New Testament, and he says that it's like the earth is going through birth pains because one day there's going to be a new creation, but until that day comes, the earth is experiencing birth pains because that day hasn't arrived just yet. So it's not that bad things happen to good people, it's that bad and good things happen to all people because all of us are sinners. See, that's why Jesus says that it rains upon the people who do right and upon those who do wrong. We live in a fallen, corrupt world. And sometimes things happen just because there is a curse upon the earth. Now, all that may make sense in our heads, but sometimes when you're really hurting, like when you're in the middle of going through suffering, you need more than that. Because this conversation is only easy if you're not currently experiencing suffering. If you're going through pain and suffering right now, this is not an easy topic, and I get that. And I know right now we have people in our church family who are suffering, who are going through some pain right now. I'm looking at some of you right now because you've shared that with me. It's not an easy conversation. And so we need more than just where does suffering come from? And so let me address another false assumption that I think often accompanies the question, why is it that bad things happen to good people? And it's this, we assume that nothing good can ever come from our bad experiences. And that just isn't true. Now, I am not saying, I am not saying that God causes every bad experience that we go through. He doesn't. But he does allow for us to go through bad experiences so that he can use them for his greater good and our greater good. See, that's why Romans chapter eight says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. See, there's this interesting passage in John chapter nine. Jesus and his disciples have been in the temple and Jesus has been teaching people in the temple. And as they're leaving, they come across this man who's blind. And as they come across this blind man, his disciples ask him a question. They ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, that's a ridiculous question. But they ask it because in their day and age, they believe that if somebody had a physical disability, then they had done something or their family had done something to deserve it. And so they ask Jesus this ridiculous question, and Jesus is going to treat it as a ridiculous question. In fact, he won't even answer their question directly. He's going to answer a different question. Look at what he says. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. See, Jesus doesn't really give them an answer to the question why. They're asking, why is this man blind? Why is this man suffering? And Jesus really doesn't give them an answer because in life, God doesn't always tell us the why behind our suffering. God doesn't always tell us why we suffer directly, but he does promise to surround us in the midst of our suffering. See, sometimes God wants for us to know you are suffering because there's 
There is sin in this world and we live in a fallen world and there's a curse upon the earth and so you know why there's suffering. So right now specifically, why are you suffering? He doesn't always tell us the why, but he promises to surround us in the midst of it. And Jesus here is saying, you're asking the wrong question. You shouldn't be asking, why is this man suffering? You know why. What you should be asking is how. How can God use this for good? And that's why he says, this man, God's work can be on display through him right now. He says, that's why I'm here and that's why you're here. As long as it is day, in other words, as long as you have the opportunity, when you see suffering all around you, you are to look at those moments and say, how can we put God's glory on display in the midst of that suffering? See, what I have discovered is this, the key to surviving suffering is finding meaning in your suffering. We may not always understand why we suffer, but we have the promise that God can always use our suffering for his greater glory. He can use it to put his story, his love on display. See, somebody once told me, when you experience pain, the first thing that you need to do is hit pause on your panic. See, it's not that you just forget about the pain, but hit pause on your panic because panic doesn't do anything. So hit pause on your panic and hit pause for like 48 hours. And during that period of time, focus on how God could possibly use this situation for his good. And then after that 48 hour pause, then harvest that good. See how you can work towards that good. And all the, negative st- all the negative stuff associated with your pain, don't let that define you, but move towards the good. Because God can use our temporary suffering in order to put his work, his plan, his love on display. And the reason why we can do that is because as followers of Jesus, we believe there is more life ahead of us than behind us. The whole reason why Jesus came was so that we could have more life beyond our suffering right now. Jesus has not abandoned us. He hasn't left us behind. He hasn't left us on our own. He came to give us more life beyond this one. And that's why we don't give up. We don't give in. We don't quit. Because as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We know that we have more life ahead of us than behind us. And that keeps us going. It reminds me of the first time that my son Alex, he was little and he got a splinter in one of his fingers. And it was a bad splinter, it was one that had to come out or it would have got infected. And I can't handle stuff like that. I have a weak stomach. I can't stand the sight of blood or anything like that. And so Allison had to take care of it. She had, uh, my wife had to try to get this splinter out. And so she was trying, but it hurt. And so, you know, he was uh, just jerking around and screaming and crying and didn't want her to hurt him anymore. And so she looked at me and she said, Chad, you're gonna have to hold him down. And so I did. I almost got on top of him and I held him down while she removed that splinter. 
And I couldn't look at the splinter, but I looked at him and he gave me a look like I was the worst dad on the face of the planet. I mean, he was crying these huge tears and he wasn't saying it, but I could read his eyes. He was like, why daddy, why are you forcing me to go through this pain? But what he didn't realize is I was allowing him to go through this pain so that he could get better, so that he could find healing. And God allows us to experience temporary pain in the here and now because he has something, in, he has something better in store for us because he wants to give us a life where we are healed and free from all the pain and suffering that we are experiencing now because of the curse of sin. We just have to trust that he is God and he knows what's best, that he is God and we are not. And that's hard to do sometimes. But when I finally got to the point in life when I realized, God, you are God and I am not, that was so freeing. It strangely gave me some peace because I know his ways are greater than my ways. And I know as my loving heavenly father, he knows what's best for me. And I can trust him. I can trust him to always do what's best for me. And sometimes we go through pain because God wants to grow us and help us. He wants for us to have a deeper relationship with him or stronger faith. Sometimes he allows us to go through pain because he wants to put his glory on display through us for others to see. But whatever the reason, he knows what's best, so we trust him. But like I said, that's hard because sometimes we wanna try to help God out. I'm talking a lot about my kids today, I know, but it's Father's Day, so I get to, all right? And I don't know what my excuse is in other sermons, but still, um, I was, the other day, I was working on one of my sermons, and anytime I write a sermon, I type it up, I print it out, and then I go through and I highlight my sermon notes. And so one color means one thing, and another color means another thing, so that as I'm preaching, I can go and say, oh, okay, scripture's in blue or whatever, I just know where it's at on the paper. So I was in my home office, and I was going through, and I was highlighting my sermon, and Addie, my daughter, walked in. And she said, Daddy, can I help you? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so I gave her a highlighter. And I was like, okay, now highlight this word yellow or highlight this line orange and highlight this scripture blue. And so I'm telling her to go through and highlight it. And the next Sunday at church, she was back in first years and their class was walking down the hallway and they have TV monitors back there and the sermon was on. And so she stopped her teacher and she said, that's my daddy. And she pointed to the TV and the teacher's like, yeah, it is. And then she looked back at her teacher and she goes, I helped him write that sermon. Now, <laughs> did she really help me write that sermon? Of course not. She just highlighted what I already wrote, but I let her be involved. And sometimes we wanna try to help God out. And we gonna say, God, this is how it should be done. And God's like, listen, just trust me. Just listen to me. Do what I'm asking you to do. Have faith in me. And I'll let you be part of my great story, of my great plan. Just let me be God, he says. And you trust your loving heavenly father. See, God has not abandoned us. He hasn't left us alone. God has actually already responded to our pain. And he's responded to our pain in three ways. The first way is through the empty tomb. Jesus came and he entered our mess. See, we don't serve a God who stands at a distance. 
who doesn't get what pain is all about. No, we serve a God who suffered as we suffer and he can relate to us. He can identify with us. And so when we pray to our God, we know that he gets what we're going through, but it's not just that he experienced suffering, he defeated suffering. And because of the empty tomb, he has opened up a door for us to life beyond the temporary suffering that we're experiencing right now. He also has responded to our suffering through the ecclesia. And I know that sounds like a fancy word. It's just the Greek word where we get church from. And I use it because it also starts with an E, like empty tomb. But also I use it because ecclesia has a powerful meaning. It literally means in Greek, a called out community, a community that is set apart from everyone else. And that's what the church is. We're a community that is set apart from the rest of the world because we understand what suffering is really all about. We understand that there's more life ahead of us than behind us. We get it. We know there's a purpose to all this. And I think it's sad that so many people have walked away from God thinking there can't be a God because of suffering. If that's the case, then that means there's no point to any of this. It means there's no purpose behind all this suffering and pain that we're experiencing. But I believe what the Bible says that God is still in control. He still has a plan for my life and that there is more life ahead of me beyond the suffering that I am experiencing right now. It brings me hope. And that's why we need the church because we need the ecclesia, the called out community around us who are going to support us and encourage us and remind us about what's most important. And then also God has responded to our suffering with the promise of the eternal city. The Bible refers to it as the new Jerusalem or the new heavens and new earth. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he is going to make everything right again. And he is going to give us a new creation that is free from suffering and pain. This is how the Bible describes in the book of Revelation. It says, he, Jesus, will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus is coming and he is going to give us a world that is free from suffering and hardship and pain and heartbreak and sin. And we're going to live the life that God originally created us to live. And those of us who return the love that God has shown us, who choose him, will get to live in that eternal city, that new heavens and new earth. But you might be asking, okay, if God's going to do that one day, why doesn't he just go ahead and do it now? The Bible tells us why. It says in 2 Peter that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, why is it that God doesn't just go ahead and bring about the new heavens and the new earth right now? It's because he still knows that there are people who can come and experience that new heavens and new earth that haven't returned his love just yet. God is holding back the curtain of history because he loves us and because he wants more and more people to be saved. And so let's get real for a quick second. Let's, let's be totally honest. If Jesus were to come back right now at this very moment and bring about the new heavens and new earth, some of you listening to this message right now wouldn't be ready. Some of you listening to this sermon right now wouldn't be ready. 
And God is holding back the curtain of history because he loves you. And because he wants you to inherit the eternal city. We don't need to waste the time that we have because as long as we have today, we have an opportunity to return the love that he has shown us. You see, the reality is the existence of pain in our world, for me, it doesn't disprove the love of God. But for me, it validates it. It validates it, one, because it reminds me that God gave us a choice, a choice to truly love him. Not just be puppets, not just be robots, but truly love him and have a loving relationship with him. But it also validates it because it reminds me that as long as we see pain and suffering in this world, God is holding back, he is holding the curtain of history back because he knows there are more that can be saved. His love for the world is so great, he's willing to hold back the curtain of history a little bit longer for those who don't know him yet. So today, my prayer is that when you experience pain and when you experience suffering, know that even though we may not have a specific answer for why we're going through what we're going through right now in this very moment, we do know that we are not alone, that God doesn't always explain suffering, but he surrounds us in the midst of it. And we know that we have more life ahead of us than behind us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had to open up your word and study it. And we pray that we will remember the promise that is found in your word, that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. May we continue to keep our eyes on you, trust that you are God and we are not. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.